Hi everyone, you're listening to Humanize Your Workplace with Alyssa Carpenter, where we chat about all things, well, human. On each of these bite-sized episodes, I'll give you something new to try to become more self-aware, help you build better work relationships, or just try to get you through a sticky work situation. It all starts with an open mind and a conversation. Welcome to this week's episode of Humanize Your Workplace. This week, we are here with Angelo Spinello, who's a husband, stepdad, metalhead, in-house attorney, and author of I Am a Professional Metalhead. I'm really excited to talk to Angelo because we actually have some common connections in terms of where we grew up. He's from New Jersey, and he began his long, lifelong obsession with heavy metal music and one that's influenced his entire legal career. So we're going to get into all that today, but I wanted to thank you, Angelo, for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So one question that I love to kick off the podcast with is if you could thank anyone for helping you become the professional you are today, who would that be and why? Sure. I might, I might give the why that way I could, I could reveal who the person is at the end, but (laughs) um, the professional I am today is less about the education that I've had and more about the experience. And as we'll probably get into, I've had a very diverse experience and I've moved from one job to the other and there's really not much of a connection between them other than I was interested in things. And I, I, t- I thought about it and I, I tied it back to a point when I was in near the end of my first year of law school. Uh, I was in law school in upstate New York in Albany and I, I had done really well. I was on law review. I had a great group of friends. I had kind of started to establish roots there. But in the back of my head, I always wanted to be down in Washington, D.C., and I had always wanted to go to Georgetown, and I wasn't good enough to get into Georgetown undergrad. And I remember talking to my dad saying, I'd, 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 I wonder what it would be like if I went to Georgetown Law. And he says, well, you just have to apply. And I said, but I have everything here. And he said, you have to do that now because Otherwise, in a year, you're going to ask yourself, what if? And in 10 years, you're going to ask yourself, what if? And you're never going to know the answer to it. Um, so I ended up doing that. And, and that literally, that conversation, I think, affected the rest of my career. Because instead of asking myself, what if I switch this job and move to this job? I've just done it. And I really don't have many what ifs uh, for my, my professional experience. So it, it would be my dad, who I would thank. Unfortunately, he's no longer with us. But I mean, if he's listening in the ether. Uh, thanks, Dad. No, it's, it's incredible because it's such a powerful thing. I think we, you know, think about FOMO and these what ifs and to have somebody right. say, just do it, you know, like, let's, you know, let's put the $100 or whatever it costs for the application. You don't want to look back and think, could I have gotten in? Is this something that I want to do? Because if you get in or you don't, then you can make the choice from there. That's so powerful. Right, right, definitely. I am curious because you touched upon it a little bit. I think your, again, I think your career is just so interesting. It's so different. Can you just share with us about like your career evolution and and what you're working on right now? Sure, sure. It's it's probably the craziest lawyer career evolution (laughs) you'll ever hear about. But it started very normal. I I started as a as a lawyer with the Justice Department, and I, I did that for a few years, and then I realized I hated being a lawyer. So I did what made absolutely no sense. I left that job and I went to sell guitars for a living. Um, I became an entry level salesperson at Guitar Center and I worked there and I worked my way up quickly to becoming an assistant manager. And I really got 
a taste of what it was like to be sales. And I think that that instilled in me a, an appreciation for how hard salespeople work and a lot of the things that they, they have to do behind the scenes just to, to make deals happen. So I did that for about a year or so. And I think I burnt myself out. And what I did is I ended up going back to the practice of law. So that for the second time I became a lawyer <laughs> and I, I, I worked in a small uh, employment law firm and I did that for a few years. And I slowly realized I didn't like the adversarial nature of litigation. Mm-hmm. So I left the law again and I went to uh, work for a company called Thomson Reuters and they have a product that's called Westlaw and lawyers use it to research, research cases and statutes. And I, I worked for them for several years. So I was a trainer. I was an account manager. I eventually went into product development and I worked on one of the very first apps uh, th- that tells awesome. you how, right? Like I, I remember when I, we didn't even know what an app was. We had to, we all were, were issued Apple iPad, iPods to figure out and understand how apps worked. Oh, um, so I, yeah, yeah. Like that, that's, that, that's, I mean, it was at the forefront of that technology. Awesome. Yeah. And then, uh, and then I also did marketing for a while when I was with that. And, um, I kind of decided I'm done with the law thing. Technology is what I'm going to focus on. So I wanted to just focus on apps and websites and just, it it was, it was cutting edge at the time. This was probably around 2012 or so. And I left and I went to work for a software development company uh, here in the Minnesota area because I live in Minnesota now. Um, And I was what's called a solutions engineer. So I would meet with clients and I would understand what type of app or website they wanted to build. And then I put together a proposal for them based on how much time it would take us and how much it would cost them. And I lasted in that role for a few weeks until I realized that I stayed at the company, but I realized that there was a need for maybe some legal assistance in terms of contracts and tightening up processes. So at that point, I decided that I would become their in-house counsel. And I, I made the pitch to their owners and they were on board with it. And that's how I've kind of done what I've been doing for the past seven or eight years, which is uh, in-house counsel or general counsel. I've, I've established legal departments for the past three companies I've been part of. Oh, wow. I, I want to unpack some of that because yeah, it, there's a lot. Yeah. No, it's, it's really, I think it's really fascinating because even going back to your statement before about what your dad was saying about this, what if it really, even by what you're saying, you truly embrace it and said, I don't like this. You know, what if this would work? Let me go and try this. When you're in roles that you didn't love or didn't see a connection with, what did you do? Was there an aha moment for you? Was there a conversation you had with a supervisor? How did that work for you to decide, I'm going to move on? I think that you just kind of naturally start thinking about yourself and the things that you like and what you are passionate about. Because even if you don't like a role, there's something that you like in it. There's some, there's, there's something that lured you to it and, and, and trying to distill exactly what that is um, at its most basic, and then trying to find it out, find it elsewhere, and then also just looking at these uh, at the other opportunities that are out there that you might have never tried or, or that are of interest to you. I think that, you know, the nice thing about my career is that I've kind of done things in three to five year spurts, and I, I, I've, that's kind of intentional because I feel that. If you stay in a position too long, you just get too used to the pay, the benefits. And every, literally every time I leave, I've left a company, 
I have people reaching out to me saying, oh, you're so brave. I can't believe you did that. You know, I, I, I wish I could do that, but it's just, it's just too easy for me to stay here and the benefits are too good. And it's like the money is, the money is nice and the benefits are nice, but you have to really distill what's important to you and what, what's your passion about and what drives you. And, and for me, that's with every job I could say, okay, this was the one thing I liked in that job and that I wanted to take to the next job. And it's kind of like, transferring that skill and building yeah. upon that skill. And what about this kind of last job that you had, the software, mm-hmm. you know, that piece? So you're saying, I'm here for two weeks. I don't like this, but I think I have another skill set. How did that conversation even start or go? Sure. People frustrated. Well, I would say that I, I never said I didn't like it, mm-hmm. that, that I, I, I did like the role and I love the, I love the company. Um, but I realized that oh my gosh, I have this whole legal education and there's actually a practical use for it where I'm not actually going to be arguing with someone. Instead, I'm helping a business navigate its way through contracts and through compliance issues and through laws. And I just, I just said, that was literally my aha moment. Like, oh my gosh, like I could use law and I like business because I've done all these roles. I've been in marketing, I've been in sales. Um, I've done, you know, a little bit of UX and things like that. I could combine all of that into a single job, all the things that I've liked doing in a single job and yeah. basically create my own job description. Like, yes, sign me up. <laughs> and, and, and the fact that they said yes, that was even better. So you saw a need, you had a skill set. Did you actually write your job description and then pitch it to someone? Um, it was, it was a fairly small company, so I didn't have to write it. A formal job. In fact, if I showed them a formal job description, they probably would have dismissed me. But I, I explained, um, I sat down and I kind of had my own handwritten outline of the benefits that there would be to the business, the amount of work that was there that they could use me for, um, and the fact that I was already on staff and, you know, you don't have to hire a lawyer. And, and, and I knew how the business worked and I understood how the business worked. And I wasn't going to come in and try to change things because, I had already experienced what what the expectations were. So uh, that's kind of what I what I brought to them. And that's huge because I think sometimes people might be in an organization. I know I've experienced this myself where you're in there for a couple of mm-hmm. weeks saying, I don't like this, but I see this. Let's create this and let's run with it. You knew the people in the organization. You knew what they stood for. You saw a missing piece and you met them where they were. So you didn't go in dressing up in a soup, you know, having this pitch. You know, you you knew the environment and the culture and how to essentially influence the people you were trying to influence. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's such an important thing. And, and when I've, I've had my own legal teams, I've always said, like, it's so it's easy for as lawyers to say you can't do this. But that doesn't work in business. Like if, you, if you're in-house counsel, they, they don't want to hear how you're going to change things. You need to make your business case and you have to understand all the personalities and you have to understand the dynamics um, of how the different departments work together and how one thing you say is going to affect all these other things. And how are you going to make it work? And I think it's a lot, it's real easy for someone to come into a company and start pointing out everything they think is wrong. It's a lot harder for them to provide a solution mm-hmm. and be able to justify that solution before the company implements it. Exactly. Because I think, I mean, I hear so many times from my clients that just people coming in and saying, this isn't working, this isn't working, and they either don't have a solution or the one just doesn't necessarily make sense or a good fit or isn't 
pitch to them in the right way. So right. figuring out like, what is that pain point? How can I solve it? And then meeting them where they are. I think it's incredible that you put all that together to get to where you are. Right. Well, th well thank you. But <laughs> I, I would say, it, it, but it took me years to get to that point. Like I, there, I always say there's no way I could do the job or, or the role that I'm in now, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it took a lot of experience in seeing how things work and understanding the personalities, you know, understanding how salespeople think, you know, I, I, I remember, um, when I first started as, as general counsel, I was asked to review a contract and I completely tore the contract up and said all the things that were wrong with it. And I almost killed the deal. Uh, luckily sales escalated it to the CEO and him and I and the salesperson talked. And then I, I slowly started to understand, okay, like I can't get everything that I want. Although I'm trained to be this lawyer who could spot every issue under the sun, businesses are okay with dealing with some of those issues. I don't need to make this absolutely perfect. And mm -hmm. this is the amount of risk that the, gov the um, not the government, that the business is willing to take. Um, and and I, I think that that was a valuable lesson for me. And I still remember to that day, I, could, I remember the client, I remember the pages, I remember the conversation, but that changed my mindset and made me realize you need to understand the business. You need to understand what they care about. And then you need to make it work for them or explain to them why it will work for them. That's huge. <laughs> I, and I know you're going to say all these other amazing nuggets of wisdom, but if you get nothing else <laughs> from this podcast, I think just even meet, you know, meeting people where they are, knowing their needs and how to communicate can go a long way because it's not about you. Yes, the end result might be helpful to you and you have a job or a career or something that you love, but you know, people want to know what's the bottom line. You know, how am I yes. going to move up from here? Right, exactly. I do want to shift gears uh, for a moment and talk a little bit more about music because that's clearly, yeah. clearly a passion of yours and it's guided your career. Yeah. Is, is there a story or an experience that you can share about how the love of music actually helped you connect with colleagues or peers or supervisors or clients? Sure, sure. Um, I, I, I guess I should preface it by saying, people hear that question and they think, well, I like music. Like that's the safest thing in the world. Like who doesn't like music, right? <laughs> but I, I think that my story is a little bit different because my the music that I like is heavy metal and heavy metal tends to be stigmatized, tends to be an, a misunderstood genre. And it's not something that you, you know, will regularly hear lawyers saying, oh yeah, I listen to heavy metal all the time. It, it's not something that people proclaim loudly from mountaintops, particularly in, in the industry that I'm in or the, or the role that I'm in. But what I have found is that throughout my profession and through every job that I've had, every time I've met a metalhead, I remember, I, I could think back and I could see every single one that I've met. I know exactly when I found out that they were metalhead, you know, that they were willing to come out to me, that they listened to the same, that music. And I know exactly what they, what they listened to. And with each of those people, I've really established a bond that goes deeper than the, the business relationship, you know, what could you do for me type of thing, or, Hey, how you doing? And move on to my next thing. I understand how they think, I understand uh, the music that they connect to, and I understand why they connect to it because I connect to it as well. So it, it, it's more of a just being able to relate to people a little bit better by having that that connection. 
Yeah, and it's interesting because I talk about this all the time. And even when you go to networking events, people say, this is what I do for a living. And you're not going to remember that as much as, oh, this is awesome. This person is also a metalhead. I can see, you know, we've been to the same concerts, we listen to the same music. You'll remember them so much more when you get to know them versus this is what I do. I'm a lawyer. You know, nobody cares as much. Right. And, you know, and then when it comes to remembering that person down the road, you might not remember a ton about like what they did or, or specifics about their job, but you're like, I know that that guy's a metalhead. I kind of trust him because, you know, he likes the same music I do. And, and you're, you're almost willing to, to, to kind of call them out as a, as a top of your network versus forgetting about them down the road. Cause you know, I look at my LinkedIn and I have like a ton of connections and I'm like, I, I don't know how I remember all, the, I don't know all these people. I, how do I know all these people? But I know all the metalheads. I'm like, Oh yeah, that guy's a metalhead. That guy's a metalhead. And it's, it's funny how I remember it. No, that's awesome. Cause you've, you yeah. know, something that you can relate to or, you know, yeah. point and say, what about, can you describe from somebody who's, I would say myself being kind of on the outside of that particular community, can you describe what it is, what it feels like, and and is there a way to replicate that or pieces of it at work? Yeah, I definitely think that, I, I definitely think there's a way to replicate it. But let me kind of describe it. The community is definitely um, uh, a unique one. Uh, it, it's a fairly diverse, um, and what it's really characterized by uh, people who are interested in not only just existing with you at a concert, but um, but relating to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the stories I talk about in the book is how my wife, she she likes some of the older metal, but she doesn't like the newer metal. I dragged her to a, a heavy metal festival in Jacksonville, Florida, a few years ago, and she was so surprised with how many people would just stop us and talk to us because of, you know, the shirt that I was wearing. Yeah. And it wasn't just, a, oh, I like that band. It was like we were having five, 10, 15 minute conversations where we were just going deep into the, the music that we like. Um, hey, if you like that, have you tried this? Um, and just relating, uh, which I think is something that's really, really important to bring into the workplace. I, I feel that too often we're just existing with our coworkers and we're not really relating to them. And that kind of goes back to what you, you and I were talking about a few minutes ago, which is being able to understand how people think and what they want or need to hear so that way you could make that business case to get what you think should be done done um, by by understanding and relating to them a little bit better. And even what you were saying about a shirt, and I tell my clients all the time, use context clues. Did somebody put a picture of their new baby on their desk or a dog or a new picture of their child? You know, use those context clues to say, oh, what kind of dog is that? Or, you know, where did you get them? There's just so many things that we can use to start conversations. Yes, de- definitely. And it's funny you say that because, you know, before I go to a concert, I will kind of look through my collection of shirts and be like, okay, which is which one is probably going to result in someone wanting to talk to me about me about something. So it's I, I, I do like to pick certain shirts. And I would say nine times out of 10, I'm able to engage in someone because of the shirt that I'm wearing and, and have a good conversation. It's funny. I met someone at it when a networking event. It was very overwhelming. It was thousands of people. Maybe it was last year, and they had a shirt on that said, "I'm shy. Come and talk to me." And everybody <laughs> came and talked to them. I'm like, that's right. brilliant, right? Yes. Yeah, if you know that you're not going to go up to someone, you're wearing something that says, "Come talk to me. Come find me." Well, right, exactly, and it's you need to find something like that that makes yourself stand out. It's like you, you know, what's what's the hook that, and then everyone probably remembers who that person is now, and that's exactly. probably, probably yeah. 
No, and, and in your book, I, you're also giving this kind of tribute, obviously, to the metal industry for having that huge influence in your life. Can you right. share one of the lessons that you learned from this type of music? Sure. It's um, just a, an entire part of the book with several chapters that talk about the various lessons. But I think one that's particularly appropriate for, for this podcast is, um, is one where uh, basically I'm talking about the – humanizing sea levels and management and executives and dealing with them. Um, because, you know, I remember earlier on my career when I was with the justice department, I had the opportunity to meet attorney general, the attorney general of the U S uh, on a couple of times, yeah. a couple of occasions. Um, right. And like, you just, listen, you just said, wow. Right. And think about it. Like early on in your career, you started a company and you meet the CEO and you, that's exciting. Or mm-hmm. you, you, you send a LinkedIn connection and the CEO connects with you. And it's so exciting. You go home and tell everyone, oh, my gosh, the CEO connected with me. Um, and I, st- I started to realize that a lot of these these manager management, executives, C-levels, they're like the rock stars of the corporate world. Right. We put them on this pedestal. But then what I've realized is I've met a lot of rock stars. And the funny thing is, every time, to- a lot of times I've talked to them, particularly as I've gotten older, we have conversations about everything but the music, right? Like mm-hmm. I met I met Lita Ford, who's a 1980s rock star, and we were talking about Italy. She's like, because she, she she said, "Oh, your name's Angela. My family's from Italy," and we ended up having a, a conversation about Italy, nothing about the music that I knew her for. Um, and I slowly started realizing that you know rock stars are just normal people. They just want to have normal conversation, but we put them on this pedestal. And it's the same thing with the C-levels and executives. Um, and I've, I've realized this even more as I've become a general counsel or in-house counsel. Instead of now reporting to them, I'm advising them on what they can and can't do. You know, these people that I once placed on a pedestal, I'm telling them now that they can do things or they can't do things. Um, so realizing that they are humans but then taking it a step further and making sure they understand that you, in your mind, you know, you're a human, but people are placing you on a pedestal. You have to understand that, you know, your entry level employees, they're afraid to talk to you. They think that you are so much like bigger than, than life. Uh, so it's really important to go out of your way to make sure you make those connections with them and, and be transparent and be open with them because all too often, I've had C-levels tell me, oh, if people have any questions, they, they know they could come and talk to me. And I say, no, they don't. Mm-hmm. I say, think about it at the beginning of your career. Would you just knock on the, on the CEO or the CFO or the CTO's office and say, I need to tell you a few things. I'm going to be completely honest. Like, probably yeah. not. Probably not. And even myself, right, because I'm advising them. I've had employees, you know, when I had an office, they would knock on the door and say, oh, I'm sorry to bother you. And I'm and I said, I'm, you know, I'm sitting in here listening to heavy metal reading contracts. Come in and talk. Like <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's not that big of a deal. But we, we need to be conscious of that, particularly as we advance in our careers, of the impression that other people have of us just by virtue of the title we carry. That's so powerful. I'm, I'm curious because I see that all the time, um, just right. in the work that I do, or people will say, well, my door is open. Well, that doesn't mean you're inviting people inside. It might just be you want some air, you know, into the main <laughs> office space, right? Right. But I'm curious how, because you're naturally in a position, I think, and have built these relationships where you can say that. You can say that, you know, bluntly, if you will, of, right. you know, would you be in this position or not? Right. How, who can address that issue with, you know, either the higher-ups, the C-suites or managers, or, or how? Like, where can we bring that or break that divide? 
I, th I think that's, it, it's almost like uh, managing up, um, you know, it, but it, it's, it's something that really has to come. It has to come from outside, but I think it also has to come from support, right? Mm -hmm. Remember, I, we were talking earlier about you have to make your business case to affect change within the organization. In my case, a lot of times it's, funny thing about my job is the word counsel appears in the title no matter how you write it, like corporate counsel, general counsel, um, people are always talking to me and they'll tell me anything because they think, well, you're a lawyer, you know, I, I could trust you. So they will tell me the things that then I'm able to turn around and talk to the C-levels about to say, were you aware that people are not happy about this? Well, no, I didn't yeah. know that. So I, I think that it's incumbent on those who have those direct uh, relationships with them to let them know that there are these other issues that exist below the surface that no one is really telling you about because they're afraid to. But it's 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 a tough question. I, I think it's something that we should just instill in people, you know, from the very beginning of their career that, you know, the C-levels are people. But, and remember that when you get up to that level too, that you have to be open and be aware that people are going to treat you differently because of your job title. Yeah. I love that so much. It really, it's, I mean, it's all about inclusion. It's all about, you know, being human because you're, people are not intentionally excluding the people below. They're not thinking about it and they're just going about yeah. their day and not, and thinking my door is open. Of course people can talk to me or they can talk to this person, but unless we explicitly say that or have an invitation or invite that conversation, people might feel intimidated to start one. Right. And I, and I think that maybe part of it is even trying to, instead of just saying my door is open to try to relate to the people and, and to ask the, the probing questions and, and not be afraid to ask them. And because sometimes a leading question will get you the answer because I've seen it happen a lot with, with employees. Uh, I'll try to lead, instead of saying, how are things going? I'll, I will say, you know, what do you think about this situation? Are you comfortable with that? Do you think that's a good idea? And a lot of times they say, well, and then all of a sudden they tell you everything that they've been thinking or to yeah. complaining to everyone else about. <laughs> Oh, yeah. When you flip the script and it becomes uh, you can't answer it, yes or no, or maybe I think so. And you're asking a direct question that requires a statement or an answer. Um, right. It can really flip the script. Right. Right. No. Well, Angela, I really, really appreciate you joining us today. Just a wealth, wealth of knowledge. How can our audience get in touch with you and purchase your book? Sure. Sure. Well, the book is available on Amazon. So, um it's in paperback and also a Kindle version, so you could view it on any tablet that you have. Um, but you could reach me. I have LinkedIn. I have Instagram. I have Facebook. Everything is is kind of centralized from the website. So I am a professional metalhead.com is probably the best place to go to. Otherwise, you could just look me up by name on, on any of those other platforms. I, I'm there. Perfect. Thank you again. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It was great, great being here. And to our audience, if you have any questions that you want to be addressed in a future episode, you can reach out to me on Twitter at NotOKThat'sOK. Okay. Until next time. Thanks again for listening. But did you know that you can leave me a voice message to answer any questions on an upcoming episode? Just go into the show notes and the link will be there at the bottom for you to send me that message. Have a great day.